You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. Have you ever had a dream late at night that was so bizarre and so vivid that you thought maybe you had an encounter with another being, maybe? And before you check, yes, you are listening to Systematic Ecology and not your favorite alien conspiracy theory podcast, because today on Systematic Ecology, we're going to be talking about the Cthulhu mythos, the Lovecraftian horror genre. It's going to be a great time. We are the priests of the geeks, meaning that we are mediators between the Christian faith and pop culture. This is not a bait and switch or a trap or anything like that. We're just two geeks who really like to be scared. That's right, folks, because so, nothing says Happy New Year like, hey, let's talk about something scary right off the bat. Uh, if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you go on over to systematic, or, excuse me, patreon.com slash systematicgeekology. We got a lot of great material coming your way this month. D&D, comic book reviews, and a movie review is on the way, too. It's going to be a great time. I'm one of your hosts for today's episode, Brandon Knight. Today, I'm a traveling preacher. I still got my shirt on and everything. Joe, I was at this church today. Their podium had a built-in cup holder for like the preacher's bottle of water. Oh, right on. It was very tasteful looking. Yeah, it was great. Uh, and by the way, very recently, actually, so on the on New Year's Eve, all uh, on New Year's Eve, once my wife and I are home, we just have a movie marathon. That's how we celebrate the new year. Watch Shang-Chi and it's fine. It's just that I know we didn't do a movie review episode on this. It's just fine. Yeah, it's not great. It's not bad. There's much worse film. Anyway, uh, Joe, why don't you introduce yourself and we'll get back to the actual conversation. Uh, So I am Joe. I am a broadcaster, marketer, a little bit of everything. And I have been exposed to the Lovecraftian universe um, since I was, since I was knee high to a grasshopper. Um, Cthulhu is one of those entities that's always been a part of the zeitgeist for me Um, just by proxy of the things that I was, that I was into and stuff like that. So getting a chance to do this episode is very exciting. Nice. So yeah, again, we're going to be talking about the Cthulhu mythos, Lovecraftian horror in general. So, Joe, since you kind of set it up there for us, why don't you run with that for a little bit? So, knee high to a grasshopper. Yeah. You started getting into Cthulhu, watching Nightmare on Elm Street at five and all that other great stuff. So, so what was it that you were uh, investing in? So, um, from a young age, I was really into um, authors like Stephen King, Anne Rice, um, th- stuff like that. And so, um, Stephen King is an author that pulls very, very heavily on the Lovecraftian universe. Um, and so being aware of that and aware of what, where those characters were coming from was my first exposure into um, Lovecraft. And it's it's actually – it's interesting. I've read some of the stuff um, – it's it's so it's hard because for me Lovecraft um is an excellent world builder 
he's not as good at this uh, at, as a story. Uh, he's not as good at being a storyteller to me. So like, okay. there's a reason why so much, so many different IPs, so many different content creators, authors, board game creators, all of these different things pull because he created such a large scale and mysterious, but also well-traveled like Mm -hmm. this universe that just is so able to, so many different people have been able to add to or pull from and different things like that. But Mm -hmm. when it's actually Lovecraft himself writing the content, to me, it just is dry. It's kind of like an overdone Turkey on Thanksgiving. Like it's just not (laughs) what you want it to be okay i'll keep that in mind so i think maybe we should backtrack a little bit joe and maybe give a little bit of world building ourselves as to what is the cthulhu mythos and i'll take this for a bit so uh hp lovecraft was a pulp fiction writer back in the early 1900s pulp fiction which is a lot better than the movie uh pulp fiction back then was cheap paper novels magazines that were printed and they were set up by genre types so you could get action adventure western horror sci-fi or you could get these under the table ones called spicy and i'll just let you 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 know what that's going to be um and these were written by short short story writers hp lovecraft was a common one um also i'm trying to think i can never remember the man's name but he is the man who created Tarzan, um, Conan the Barbarian, uh, John Carter are all original um, Pulp Fiction characters. The Avenger, Doc Savage, the Ed- Phantom, all these characters. Edgar Rice Burroughs. Edgar Rice Burroughs. Thank you. You're coming in clutch like that guy on the Joe Rogan show who Googles things. Um <laughs> Edgar Rice Burroughs. Yeah. So you have all these short fiction writers who are creating these characters that through the power of being pretty good written stories and also public domain, these characters, a lot of them have stood the test of time and have brought been brought back through other media throughout the decades. Lovecraft was a horror writer. He and a lot of his material comes down to one of three kind of themes that come up often. Usually there's gods, the Cthulhu mythos. There's all these usually alien deities, almost like the Eternals, like these alien deities rather than like supernatural other entities. Massachusetts, the New England area is also a common location because that was his hometown area. And finally, dreams, which is what the intro I was doing there at the beginning is dream... Speaking through dreams, uh, communicating through them, and just like having these vivid, imaginative dreams. I have a giant book over here of Lovecraft stories that I've read. It's like a 400-page book. And I think, I don't know if he's the driest turkey I've had on Thanksgiving Day, but I will say when you read Lovecraft back to back to back to back to back, he definitely has a formula and he definitely has a style that he just keeps going back to. So if there are any um, horror story fans out there, I may ruffle some feathers with what I'm about to say. He's not as boring as Edgar Allan Poe. 
Edgar Allan Poe is eternally. <laughs> oh, he's just so boring. Like he, he's not. It's not that really? he's boring. It's that he's vanilla. He's just he's eighth grade horror. Okay. Like he's the he's the the type of writer that you introduce somebody to if they're if they're ready to start reading like horror fa- like my niece sure. who is thirteen years old right now th- she is the perfect age range for somebody like Edgar Allan Poe. You know what I mean? Um, sure. It's it's so yeah. I want to I want to take a couple of things that you say because I have an interesting perspective as far as the the borrowing the. Um, stories aspect of this. Um, so my wife is a horror story podcaster. She tells, uh, she narrates horror stories and things like that. And there are a couple of, um, authors that we can kind of turn to for classic tales to read on the show. Um, Lovecraft is one of them. He, he is, it's Mm -hmm. very, very easy to pull Lovecraftian work because so much of it was written at a time before any of this stuff was actually um was actually in place as far as like any of like the laws and legalities and all of those kinds of things so so okay. much of it i i almost think that it's by proxy of all of us that have come behind him and pulled his stuff in for other mediums and stuff like that, that have kept his legacy alive in a big way. You know what I mean? And, and that's, it's almost, it's, it's nice because so much of his stuff really is very interesting and so ripe for being able to use as building blocks for other stories that I almost think mm-hmm. that it's a Da Vinci of sorts where you can pull the stuff and you can put it inside of – you can put these these beautiful pieces inside of other contexts to amplify – you know something that was originally pretty but in its but in its original context wasn't nearly as uh entertaining as it is in the forms that other people would know it as like the more like a more contemporary audience sure. would know it in you know what i mean especially for that board game uh, yeah. community for the horror community yeah outside of doing that um like that type of horror because it's a lot of body horror it's a lot of um environmental horror in in a way reading reading lovecraftian stuff so it's not necessarily Mm -hmm. everybody's cup of tea right in its in its original context you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um that and i was so i was i grew up with the ability to vividly dream i it's okay i can always tell somebody who has never had a vivid dream in their life because they're the ones that are like, I wish I could control my dreams. You don't. I promise you, you don't <laughs> take my word for it. I promise you, you don't. Um, but that was something that was appealing to me because I'll, t- mm. I'll tell you like growing up and, and not being like around people that talked about this kind of thing, especially what in a house, mm-hmm. like for me not being grounded in Christianity, it really got weird as far as like looking into all of like the supernatural aspects of why you would dream like that and sure. all of that kind of stuff. So not being in a community that was like necessarily super into that kind of thing of like talking about that kind of thing, expressing it, nobody else in my family could mm-hmm. do it. And so to have mm-hmm. an outlet like that, that centered around so much of that being, being, 
being dream based was really cool to me. Um, and which which goes into more of what we'll talk about uh, towards towards the end, as far as like some of like the religious implications of how much yes. of it's dream based and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we keep saying we keep bringing up how like these things are used in other medias. For me, one of the biggest ones is Lovecraft is the inventor of what is known in the um, books uh, in his stories as the Necronicon. The, the Necronomicon. Necronomicon. Yes. There you go. Necro that. Necronomicon. Um, which which um for all you Evil Dead fans is the Book of the Dead. Like, I was that really is hoping 100%. Oh yeah, for sure. Like that is 100% what it is. Anytime that you see some type of Book of the Dead, Book of the Damned, whatever it is that you read this passage and all the, you know, the zombies are coming up, whatever, like that that is lovecraft that is lovecraft 100 percent. and cthulhu him cthulhu itself i guess i should say this giant tentacle creature that lives in the bottom of the ocean essentially essentially atlantis is often used for terrifying monster tales under the sea yeah Anytime that you have some giant tentacle looking creature if it's not a kraken it's some offshoot of Cthulhu rising from the ocean to devour everybody. Yeah. That was nightmare fuel for me growing up. I'm not going to lie. That was, so I, I am one of the generation of people that like, I feel like there's a whole lot of us that are of this particular age group who have a very big problem Mm -hmm. with swimming in water that you can't see the bottom of. (laughs) <laughs> because of things like oh, yeah. H.P. Lovecraft and Jaws. Thank you. Um, Jaws. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> 100%. Cannot go by a body of water now without the fear of a shark or a giant tentacle creature coming to get me. Yep. Joe, here's a fun fact for you. Um, I used to have a blog. It doesn't exist anymore. Uh, but I used to have a blog and it didn't catch on whatsoever. For several reasons. One of them is because I'm not a like 40 year old woman writing about cooking, um, which is normally what a lot of blogs are. But the other reason was it didn't have like a good identity. Like when you turn on systematic ecology, you know what you're getting yourself into. When you got onto my blog, it could have been anything that I was writing about. But one of the reasons why I wanted to do this episode is because this was one of my blog posts at one point. At one point, uh, once I finished reading this giant book of Lovecraft tales, I had a lot of thoughts on the spiritual end of things. And I wrote this blog post and now it's gone. And so I I just really wanted the opportunity to bring it back to life, as it were, in doing this episode. Lovecraft, as we talked about, deals with a lot of monsters, a lot of deities, And when you read these stories over and over and over again, essentially what happens, the basic plot line through 99% of Lovecraft stories is normal human being comes across something that's odd, different, starts investigating it, it gets way over their head in whatever this terrifying thing is, has an experience with a deity, and then normally experience madness madness losing your sanity 
is the normal outcome of a Lovecraft story. Actually, I believe, Joe, you talked about some of the board games. There's one I've wanted to play where that's like your health measuring bar is your sanity level. Um, Mansions, Mansions of Madness or Eldritch Horror? I think so. I think it's Mansions of Madness. Yeah, that that's one I, that of my favorite yeah. ones. We, my wife and I, in, during <laughs> 2020, um, bought a whole bunch of the um, expansion packs for it. It's it's one of those you oh, can cool. buy the uh, the base game and then play on from uh, out there. Yeah, that's the only thing that I would add. The only slight caveat that I would add to that, you pretty much hit the nail directly on the head as far as what makes up a, a prototypical HP Lovecraft story. The only, the only piece that you'd hit mm-hmm. is um, the idea that whatever this reality is, will either at the end mm-hmm. get burnt to the ground. You know, some, sometimes literally with fire, mm-hmm. fire is an imagery, fire and water are, are big imageries and, and for, for Lovecrafty and stuff, but in, True. you know, even metaphorically speaking, you know, it will get destroyed or in the mm-hmm. blink of an eye, it's gone because the great D the, 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 whatever, uh, version you are ancient ones. Yeah. Whatever, yeah. whatever ancient one is you know, being used for this particular story either wakes up or just wipes it out of existence, you know, blinks, that kind of thing that, Mm -hmm. you know, it's very much a, you know, um, more often than not, it is designed to be nihilistic in nature. That's true. And it's also worth pointing out that in the Cthulhu mythos, Cthulhu is not the main deity. Like he comes from the most well-known story, the call of Cthulhu. And like Joe brought up earlier, Lovecraft was doing world building before Marvel made it cool. And these, the book of the dead, the, the different deities, they all kind of show up in different forms and to different levels of like their importance in the other stories. Mm Cthulhu is not the main God. I believe it's Dagon, which if you know your old Testament, that might, ring a bell a little bit i believe it's dagon who is the most high ancient one or oldest one uh the ancient one there's a few others i believe that there's one that some lovecraftian scholars it they kind of theorize that it's supposed to be lovecraft himself because it's like the one who created everything and then there's supposed to be one that observes everything which is supposed to be the reader yeah um but Cthulhu is not the only god in this deity or in this pantheon. Yeah, so there's a there's a running theory that Azathoth is supposed to be the um, the basically the peregrine of um, Lovecraft. You know, he is the stand-in, okay. kind of like for all of you Marvel fans, the one above all. This supposed to be, you know, okay. Jack Kirby, the 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 penciler yeah. for the for the actual uh, comic sort of thing. It's the idea that this that this is the creature, so he kind of wrote himself into it. And then I don't, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head what the um, Yog something is. The I think it's supposed to be the one that's yeah. supposed to be the the representation of the the reader. Um, but yeah, it's mm. it's very he he's very tongue in cheek and kind of on the nose when he writes. He you by the way he does like 
symbolism and things like that. He's not afraid to mm -hmm. pull in these different concepts and have these different representations and stuff like that. Sure. And not all of his work uh, revolves around this. My favorite Lovecraft story has nothing to do with any of the ancient ones. The only one that has ever actually scared me. I'll have to I can't remember what the title of it now is, but it's about this guy and he is looking for something like the Book of the Dead type of thing. And he goes to this new this guy's house in New England somewhere and he is sitting with him and talking with him. And I, I he has this impression at first that this guy is like a scholar and knows a lot about the book. But actually, the guy has the book and has read the book and there's sections on cannibalism. And he comes at turns around that this guy is a cannibal. And like now the guy is panicking. How does he get out of the house? And then kind of in the normal Lovecraft way, in a blink of the eye, because the house is old and decrepit, it falls apart. It just like collapses. And shockingly, our hero actually survives and the cannibal dies, which is not normal for these stories. But it the way that he writes it, even though it's like the only one I read that actually had like a happily ever after to it i finished that story turned the page started the next one and had to put the book down and go do something else for a bit because he his creepy level of describing the cannibal and like the desires that he had was like that was off the charts with some of his for for his writing style at least yeah that's you know and and that really is why i think for you know, I, I make I make no secrets about I me be I am a if you look up the definition of a nineties kid, I'm I'm the textbook for a nineties kid. And when you look at so much of what was popular for our generation, especially um like older nineties kids. Um, mm -hmm. that there's so much influence from these, from, from these, these authors that came before and, and all of that, especially like in, at this, like tales from the crypt, like I said, uh, Stephen King, um, uh, yeah. so, so much was coming out that at that time of, from creators that would cite that kind of influence. And there's a reason why, Lovecraft, you know, lives among that echelon of inspiration because he is able to create ambiance and is able to allow for a world that dares to push the envelope. You know what I mean? Like, if you're going to do some of this stuff, it's almost a, re a prerequisite that you have to be willing to push the envelope in order for it to actually be compelling. Otherwise, you get things like Poe, that it's just Shakespeare mm. with a little bit of gothic to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Tales from the uh, Tales from the Crypt because – one, I've been reading a lot more of those lately. And two, Lovecraft Lovecraft is to creepy horror, the creepy horror genre, as George A. Romero is to zombies, Night of the Living Dead. Like Romero's a lot, I would say I would say Night of the Living Dead's a lot better uh, by way of storytelling than most Lovecraft stories. Yeah. But setting into place 
a lot of the normal tropes, a lot of the normal go-to story arcs, you got to you got to read Lovecraft in order to find the roots in a lot of the creepy uh Tales from the Crypt, Twilight Zone, any creepy horror things from the outside affecting normal people's reality type of genre. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a very apt comparison to make because, you know, you mentioned Pulp Fiction before. Pulp Fiction is one of those movies that if you've never seen Pulp Fiction, you've seen the influence that it's had on cinema ever since it came out. There's, there are certain things that you can, that you can point to that even if you've never heard of, the you know like the call of cthulhu or something along those lines mm-hmm. you've likely seen some kind of depiction of cthulhu or or experienced something that had influenced by lovecraft or something like that you know for sure so obviously here on geekology we like to turn things over to a more spiritual minded conversation so here we are once again joe what a surprise you and i are talking about something that's horror related how do we make the turn well actually i think there's a even easier way than when we did all of our halloween episodes back a while ago because lovecraft deals so much with gods and deities and i really think that if you take a step back after reading all these stories if you take a step back and you Think about it for just 30 seconds. I think you really start to learn something about a person by what they write. I think you really start to learn some. And when you're dealing with a topic like this, with gods and deities, I think we're getting a little bit of a view into how Lovecraft views the supernatural. To Lovecraft, all of these gods, Cthulhu, Dagon, all the rest, these gods are all terrifying. Like they're supposed to induce madness into a person as soon as they see them and all this other terrible things. And they, they're not benevolent whatsoever. They, within a blink of an eye, destroy everything. Like it seems that the message that Lovecraft is saying over and over and over again, is that the supernatural is terrifying. It's powerful. And it, does not care about us at all. What do you think? Um, you know, I, I joke a lot about how, you know, I, I was watching things like nightmare on Elm street at five and I turned out fine. Um, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I make a lot of those jokes, but the reality is, is that I have been aware, hyper aware from a very young age that, um, how do I say this tactfully? Um, none of us cheat the Reaper. And that's yeah. something that had always been on my like on my mind from like I remember having thoughts about this far younger than somebody mm-hmm. should. We'll just put it like that. Um, I okay. also was not raised in a household that um that pulled punches as far as the realities of the world. So to me, I, I was, I always hedged around like a, almost like a, like an existentialism sort of, sort of mindset or like, 
um, nihilism, that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. I still, to this day, struggle with nihilism. One of the the best parts of the Bible sure. that I that I vibe with uh, more often than I care to admit is meaningless, meaningless. It's all meaningless. Um, mm-hmm. You know. So, but when you have these depictions of spirituality, where it is the idea. It's kind of like um, Kant's philosophy on religion. Um, I'll sum it up like this, mm. that Kant's philosophy basically states that gods are hostile, that the universe is hostile, like mm-hmm. things like that. It's the same deal with existentialism. Existentialism d- goes mm-hmm. into more of like the free will conversation and all of that, but yes. it's it's very much – set within the parameters the prerequisite before you get to free will is that the universe is hostile and against you and so mm-hmm. with with this it, it it is this point of view of like the the world inherently being wrong like the there being mm-hmm. forces outside of you that are looking to do you harm or cause you problem or something along those lines. And that kind of being the parameters in which you build the rest of your, your thought process or belief system or theology around. And so Mm -hmm. it's one of the, the most interesting things to me is that this is a world that is completely built around that being the barometer. And it's interesting mm-hmm. that it always interests me whenever I find a Christian that has the kind of um, God as the angry kid with the magnifying glass and we're the ant sort of approach. You know what I mean? Like, hmm. don't piss God off, sure. or else we're you know you're gonna get you know, get you're gonna get smited, sort of thing. Almost like he's Zeus. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that kind of deal. Yeah, and, and like. It's that same, it's born in that same kind of mindset, you know, and it's that same kind of mindset that to me, like, is so rooted in the idea of things like transhumanism and stuff like that. For those of you that don't Mm -hmm. know, before I became a Christian, I was a transhumanist, which if you don't know, basically in, in my, the, 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 the sect of transhumanism that I was most heavily involved with looked to technology as being the bridge between man and immortality. And it basically, and it very Mm. much was against naturalism and the natural world. You know what I mean? And so it's that same kind of perpetuation of the natural world being inherently flawed and needing to find Mm -hmm. a remedy for it. Sound familiar? Anybody like that's it's it. So much of this is built around the idea and the building blocks of Christianity that it's that's what makes it so interesting mm-hmm. to me that when you bring this into a spiritual conversation, like, yes, we could talk about things like, you know, the world seems scary and the world seems like but like what what is it that that draws humans to, you know, if you really dissect this kind of thing, what is it that draws people to this whole idea that at the blink of an eye? It could all be done. And that's the same idea okay. behind behind um I think that's so intriguing to so many people about the rapture. You know what I mean? Like and and end times and mm. eschatology. Yeah. 
and all of those kinds of things that like the popular American idea is that in the blink of an eye, we're all going to be caught up. And I understand that part of what I'm just, what I'm mm-hmm. quoting and I'm almost doing it tongue in cheek is quoting Bible verse. Yes. Bible verses that have been horribly taken out of context and manipulated to suit a different kind of story. But I digress. Uh Oh, you know what I mean? A literal story. Go on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and so, you know, it, it's it's so intriguing that we can look to something that is unafraid to be honest and like, yes, in, in a supernaturally kind of way, in a monsters sort of way, you know, yes, it sure. is fiction. But think about this for a second. Mm-hmm. You are dreaming. And then you realize that the dream was actually reality and could be gone in a second. Hello, that's nightmare fuel. That is some of the like I'd rather face I'd rather face down Godzilla than face down that. You know what I mean? Because something (laughs) that is so totally willing to be honest about the idea of it being so totally outside of your control that things greater than you pull the strings. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, we I mean, that's like the ultimate human struggle there is that we Mm -hmm. don't like it that we're not in control. Right. You know, whether it's, you know, sin, the the reality of sin that has crippled everything. And now bad things happen to good people because there's sin in the world or because I have been doing things that affect other people. You know, we we are so not in control and so we try to do as much as possible to bring a level of control either to our lives or to the world around us. I mean, I don't want to get off all off on like vaccines and stuff like that. But I mean, even that, like we're trying to control something that really is hard to control. A virus isn't the easiest thing to control. We can do our best to keep everyone safe as best as we can, but we can't like, we're not going to be able to shut down completely. Like if that's just the nature of how things are. I'm you're speaking my language, bringing up nihilism. I am a, um, I'm not a nihilistic existentialist, but I would say I'm a little bit on the religious existential side, Soren Kierkegaard type of level of existentialism. I resonate with you on the, uh, meaningless is meaningless. You know, I think a lot of existentialists definitely, look to ecclesiastes but the big difference is that you know ecclesiastes is to a degree a warning sign you know and that's maybe the difference in the approach here is that ecclesiastes is the warning sign we're not supposed to look at the preacher who i'm not going to call solomon he calls himself the preacher so who wrote it the preacher the preacher who wrote the book he says he is a warning case he's not saying follow me everything is meaningless he's saying here this is where i have gotten in life learn from my experience here don't end up in this place it's very easy for us and you know this is going to sound like the churchy part of the show so just bear with me for a second it's very easy for us to say there's hope in jesus and there is that is the ace in the hole the conversation is over is that in the end we have hope in jesus so the meaningless is meaningless 
Like there is definitely can be dread in our hearts for the reality of the world around us. I was not in a good frame of mind mid 2020. Let me just tell you all that right now. But we have a bigger hope than that. And that's where the big turn comes from Lovecraftian horror to the reality that we live in here is that there is a hope. There is a God who is for us, who is drawing people to himself every day. So that way they don't have to experience. I'm not even going to go with the end times route, but they don't have to experience the meaninglessness of life, the madness and the confusion of life without God. You're grinning. <laughs> I am. I am because, um, uh, okay. How do I, where do I start? All right. You said a lot. And these are the kinds of conversations as to why I got into broadcasting. Hold, hold on to your shorts, Josh, cause this is going to get good. Um, <laughs> all right. So yes, there, I love, I love when I, get a chance to be around other Christians that more fluently speak the language of hope and the language of, I can still turn back to God. That's something that you can tell in around those people and, and super preponderance of backstory short. I've, I've only been a Christian for a, for a handful of years, spent a lot of years in the church, in, in the church setting, all of that. So like that there's, as far as actually having my come to Jesus moment, I've only had a handful of years. So I've spent more years away from Jesus than I have with him in my, in my life. And you can always tell somebody who has spent more time with Jesus than without, because it's easier to grab those things off the shelf. Hear me out. Because I understand that that may come across as a little short sheeting towards the person who can easily grab those things. It's not, it, mm. it's not one versus the other. It's just, just is, it just is what it is. It's, it's part of sure. the, the experience of humanity that for people that have seen and tasted and smelt and experienced hell on earth, hope, faith, things like that, that's top shelf stuff. Mm -hmm. That that really is. And I look at so much of my life and I've looked at what I've gone through in this life and all the stuff that I did without Jesus. And mm -hmm. that's part of why words like hope to me, you know, can have such rich meaning because you look at something like this and yeah, that is a warning sign. Do not mm -hmm. get to the point where nothing is meaningless. Matter. And yeah. so we can look at the reality of hope in that kind of lens that we still have hope. Uh, yes, all of this stuff, but we, mm -hmm. but Jesus ratchet it back mm -hmm. a couple of, a, a couple of episodes Listen to all of the stuff that we said around Christmas. You, you will hear mm -hmm. that side of this conversation. But mm -hmm. the big but in the room is 
that you you in acknowledging how much significance the out the the out plan has to all of the nonsense mm. shows the significance of the personal significance of all of the stuff that people go through. And I understand we're in deeper mm-hmm. weeds here. We're talking about philosophical type <laughs> stuff. I get it. Y'all yeah. are looking for stuff that 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 is that is not necessarily this per se. It's more about the geek stuff. But with something like this, you know, I, I think it was the two of us and and Will that did our um villains our top five villains episode. And Mm -hmm. so much of what we talked about was based around this whole idea of um, the, the, the way that an intriguing villain makes you think this is the kind Mm -hmm. of IP and subject matter that makes you think. And it's so much fun to me when you can have this kind of topic approached from somebody Mm -hmm. who's way closer to a lifer and somebody who absolutely is not a lifer Mm -hmm. when it comes to Mm -hmm. the whole Christianity thing, because you can see the influence of that road travel. It's a, it's good and it's bad. Yeah. It's each each road has its own thing. Yeah, yeah. But oh yeah, you can have like I, the the only pushback that I that I have for the whole for the whole nihilistic thing. Sure. is you look at mm-hmm. you look at the 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 ridiculousness of the world around us, right? There are some mm-hmm. aspects of this life that are a giant joke. We can't shut up for five mm-hmm. seconds and long enough about what we should do about a piece of cloth over our face to be able to lo- to love on somebody. <laughs> Come on, man! Yeah. Like we couldn't yeah. we couldn't stop being entitled for thirty seconds, and in, in order to do the thing mm-hmm. that we were called to do. But but. Mm-hmm. We so so you look at what is the most important. It's so easy to get wrapped up into thinking that, especially if you are going through a rough season, if you do have baggage, mm-hmm. things like that. Like yes, this is about geek and fun, but at the same token, this is about the reality of a life with Jesus and that implication that mm-hmm. it has that you can look, you can tiptoe through the minefield and read somebody like Cthulhu or, or somebody like Lovecraft and read things like Cthulhu. You can read about these mm-hmm. aspects of life man you can experience the realities of really fundamentally believing that nothing on this earth is worth it yeah and you can still be able to look at that and 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 understand that that is something that has to be acknowledged that's something that cannot be hand waved away you know you know so, so it's so tempting to be like no let's not talk about that let's not talk about how how hard how dark it could get dude it mm-hmm. can it always gets darkest before the dawn that's that's just the reality yeah. of the situation and just because we have jesus in our life does not mean that we are guaranteed safe mm-hmm. passage that's just the deal right. you know what i mean but that's the beauty yeah. of hope that's the gorgeousness mm-hmm. of hope that we can look at we can look at this and say yeah 
life sucks in a lot of regards. There's a mm-hmm. lot of aspects of this reality that sucks. And I can, I can vibe mm-hmm. with somebody like, like Lovecraft who writes about like, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, life sucks, but I'm going to write it as if there's a giant squid monster that's trying to kill you too. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> uh, okay. Right. Like I'm, I'm in, I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm there. But when you take it out of whatever your favorite IP is, you can take it back into the real mm-hmm. world. In this case, you take it out of this is how I'm feeling here and you put it back into the real world. There's, life still sucks. There's not any squid monsters trying to kill us. But yeah. you still have to deal with this. And But we have the ability to be able to reach for Jesus and 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 all of yeah. those kinds of things, even if it is a little bit harder and and you know not not necessarily as easy for some than others, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, I mean, and like you, well, the way I would put it is that we're all in a different spot in our spiritual journey, you know. But even at that, like that does just because someone may be a lifer, I think that was the term that you used. Um, just because someone might be a lifer doesn't mean that you still don't have doubts or experience those moments of what is the point? <laughs> like, why are we doing this? There was a point in 2020. Uh, trying to remember the context of it all. My wife had, uh, was experiencing extreme anxiety over the virus, over the everything. She has asthma. So she was very terrified. It was all new and all very scary. And, because of that, it was causing symptoms that look a lot like COVID. She was having trouble breathing. She was, you know, all these other type of ailments. So there was like a good week where we had to take her to the emergency room almost every night, essentially to calm her down. It wasn't even like it always just ended up just them trying to reassure in her mind that it's okay. And I'm not telling this story for her. I'm telling this story to on me because there was one point where I had just lost it. And I was in my office here and I knocked over a stack of books and said, God's left us. Like you're talking about me, the lifer, the guy who just preached at a church eight hours ago. Like I even got to a point where I was like, is there anything out there? And yes, we go back to the the low hanging fruit of yes, Jesus. But for even the most experienced of Christians, there can still be these moments of doubt of is there any point in all of this? Or is this more of a Lewis Carroll hunting of the snark and this is all just nonsense and meaningless? <clears throat> You can't really get away from having a conversation about this kind of thing without talking about things like mental health and talking about the realities yeah. of of the world. And you know, I think I, I I it's funny to me that it's gonna end up being Cthulhu that we that is the proxy for us to for us to finally broach this topic. Um and there'll be more conversations to be had in future episodes because this is something that is very real mental health is a thing yeah and you know when you are dealing with mental health your mind is betraying you on every level 
And yeah, mind of Christ. Yeah. You know, all of that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. I'm not, I'm not discrediting it, but we can have a conversation without immediately jumping to that. And I think that that's part of the problem. And I think that that, 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 that therein lies where people are most uncomfortable when it comes to things like, like Cthulhu and like these more, um, nihilistic points of view or existential points of view or things like that because it's because it's tempting to think that you are questioning god when you are going down this road it's not that you're questioning god per se it's that you are um more realistically looking at the world around you and what the world has to offer and especially when you feel like you are fully disconnected that's the thing right like that's part mm-hmm. of the misunderstanding that kind of gets perpetuated in what amount to atheist factories um where where we're afraid to talk about the fact that there are times like there it's part of what what bothers me a little bit about youth culture uh, uh youth group culture is <clears throat> oh these young people are taught to chase the feeling to chase that high of being at a Christian conference. And that's not real world. You know, my, my wife was diagnosed late 2020, finally with an autoimmune disorder, but there was a whole runway of time that we had no idea what was happening. And that's in the midst of the world turning on its head mm-hmm. and that's in the midst of other baggage and anxiety and things like that. That's part of why I get so, I have such a short fuse for so much of the conversation that, that stemmed from that time and still kind of goes around about that time because it's all like you're missing the point. If you're if if you're arguing about <laughs> the periphery stuff, you've already missed the point. Um, but but you you look at the reality of that time. It bore time where you had to um really come to understand what it is that you believed in and why you believed it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Real talk oh, yeah, for sure. Real talk is that. That we're talking about a period of time where those of us, you know, I'm here. Here I am. I'm 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 a year in to doing a a ministry where I'm ministering to people like me, people that didn't live their whole life, that weren't lifers, people that had a hard time being mm-hmm. vulnerable. My wife is sick. Everything's going to pot, and mm-hmm. I'm looking around like, all right. Was I wrong? Did I did I back mm-hmm. the wrong horse here? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, did I was my brain when I had my come to Jesus moment so powerful in that moment that it convinced me that I experienced something that I didn't? Is all of this for not? Uh, I see what you mean. Yeah, you know what I mean. I see, and, full, and, I see the full circle here. Yeah, right. Yeah, and so that's that's real and so we talk about all of these things to talk about the fact that this is what real people go through that we can look to as like this is stuff that 
humans experience. And so when we look at these types of um, IPs with when we start like this type of horror and that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. we can see how this is born out of the human condition. You know what I mean? We talk mm-hmm. about the problem of evil. What is the problem of evil? Good things ha- or bad things happen to good people. Why do bad things happen to good people? A, we all need to reevaluate what exactly a good person is. But B, it's because we're all broken. <laughs> it's because we all sin yeah. and all of that kind of stuff. And so to to be able to voice that, what I was saying before was a little <clears> – what I meant before, I should say, was that – when you look at the person, like the human being portion of the story, the created, mm-hmm. and you see the depths of crap that the created can go through, and the fact that it's okay that we're not all bubbly, dude. Like that's the deal, right? Like yeah. some of us can can vibe yeah. with this kind yeah. of thing and walk away without a smile on our face and a happily ever after to our story. And that's mm-hmm. still okay. We're not that doesn't mean that we're that we're messed up. That doesn't mean that we're in less in step with God. That's just the the reality right. of the type of personality. Like you can look at these kinds of things in a human being and then by default be able to see the beauty of the creator in mm-hmm. the fact that there is something outside of all of the stuff and things that plague our existence here on earth. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with all of that. I, uh, yeah, I don't know how much more I want to go into the mental health because you are right. Like we're going to have, this is going to be a more reoccurring conversation because it needs to be like, we need to, as Christians talk about this. Because you're right, you know, you got the mind of Christ and you got the don't lose your joy and all this stuff. But what a lot of people who say that don't understand is that there's a, I don't want to use the word battle, but there is a battle that needs to be won first of, yeah, but this is where my mind is right now. And you need to meet me here in this mindset first. And you're right. I think it's I don't think it's any surprise that guys like you and me like this kind of resonates with us of this whole idea of like, hey, maybe this isn't all worth it. Hey, maybe there's nothing in the end. But we have a benevolent God, which is one factor that is different in these stories is that we do have a benevolent God. Maybe we can go through life at times and experience an what feels like an absent benevolent God. You look at any of these horrible stories of martyrs, you know, I've read tortured for Christ before, like these horrible things that have happened to people or what, you know, being martyred or anything. Like I can't imagine going through that time without having doubts of, did I back the wrong horse up? But the weak T in all of this is that Dagon is one of the gods and God chopped off the Dagon idols, arms and legs in that one story in first Samuel. I'm just going to like put that one out there. That's the weak T for this conversation is uh, God is bigger than the boogeyman type of thing of like he did. Uh, he did chop off Dagon's arms and legs in that one story. 
But on a more serious note, is there anything else you would like to add on this topic of Cthulhu and, or the more spiritual ended conversation? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, I, I don't think that there's anything wrong when you look at, um, when, when you look at this sort of thing, I know that for some, for some Christians, this can be awkward, um, an awkward place to hang out because, there's so that this hits this hits different for for a lot of people especially people within the mental health community um but i think that the more that we are are okay with this kind of thing the more appreciation that we can have for the savior you -hmm. know what i mean like go back again I, i i said this before i'll say it again if you haven't listened to it go back and listen to our christmas classics one because yeah at the end of that to that one (laughs) we talk about the simplicity of the of the gospel message we talk about the simplicity of christmas and what it means and we can look to the simplicity of that as something that is um outside of the realities of the horrors of this world because this this world Mm -hmm. serves no remorse for the human for the person that goes through it there is no remorse to be had it doesn't let up that's why you see i i really fundamentally believe that that's why you see the whole theologies based around this idea of just gone done in the blink of an eye done hmm. You know what I mean? Because it's okay. that same yeah. kind of approach and mentality, but we can we can take that and understand that, you know, the the Bible is un, is unwilling to shy away from being the, there being people who speak that you know, what what do people have to gain from all of their labors? You know, generations come and mm-hmm. generations go. You know what I mean? Again, read Ecclesiastes mm-hmm. 1. It, it, it gives the entire thing. But yeah. you can look at the fact that if the Bible isn't is is unwilling to shy away from that, then we too have to be unwilling to shy away from that. And to be able to have yeah. those conversations, and just because you have those conversations, does not mean that you are disrespecting God. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you're a lesser or greater Christian if you can pull from the top shelf easier easier than other people. You know, because again, we're all on different spiritual journeys. Go ahead. Yeah. And and it also is important to note that um, you know, people people tend to tend to gravitate towards blessed are those who believe without seeing. But the Bible mm-hmm. doesn't follow that up with damned are the people who need evidence. You know, and, and mm-hmm. that's, that's good. Yeah. When we look at the realities of the world, um, God, when we say things like God is bigger than fill in the blank, the mm-hmm. boogeyman, whatever, that also includes our emotions. God doesn't mm-hmm. isn't gonna isn't gonna kick us out of bed for our emotions. God isn't going to you know, end the conversation because we get hot with him. He understands that we are emotional creatures. He understands that we are sinful creatures. He understands what is at the heart of the matter. And if you look at several people in the Bible that are 
touted as these huge figures, they are the same people that wrestled this thing, that fought this thing, that worked True. this thing out. You know what I mean? And that is okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, it is. It is okay to have questions. I mean, that's basically what the whole book of Job is about, is about mm-hmm. it's okay to come to God with questions. And I'm, uh, man, I'm always that guy who wants to rush to the finish. And please understand that maybe that part of the reason why it's easy for me to rush to the finish is because I do this preaching thing. So it's like I have to offer hope. But the impo- the beauty of it is that in the story of Job is that Job doesn't get answers. Job doesn't get answers ever. You know, God I think just says, who are you in this? So to to circle back to a theme that is very present in a lot of Cthulhu stuff. Mm-hmm. I think as as humans we have we have trained ourselves to expect understanding. Mm-hmm. Sometimes sometimes it doesn't work out in the end. Sometimes work out. you don't get the happy ending. Sometimes the yes. healing doesn't come. Sometimes it's not happily happily ever after. And that's just reality. We can still have and, and that's that's part of what makes faith so challenging. If we're just being real, yep. that's part of what makes faith so incredibly challenging sometimes. Because you look at the realities of the world, you can't you can't it doesn't matter what angle you come from of what side of whatever fence, you can't change the fact that mm-hmm. over the last two years, thousands Tens of thousands of people have died, and every single one of those people left somebody behind or multiple people behind. That's a lot of wreckage, folks. That's why I don't have time for the nonsense of it all because I'm too busy looking at the wreckage of the situation and the broken pieces that are left behind. And it's real hard to reconcile that with a God that is all love. I'm not getting down the road of of, does God exist. I'm getting down the road of these are questions that a regular person has, and that's okay. Right. That really is okay. Yeah. That doesn't mean that you have lost merit in God's eyes. That doesn't mean any of that right. kind of stuff. That, if anything, that speaks to how to how wonderful God is because we can lay at the feet and be like, okay, all right, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Show me something. Yes. Do something. You know what I mean? Like, and that's and and that's okay. Amen, folks. Can you tell that Joe's a bit of an apologetic person? <laughs> really into apologize <laughs> hey how about we start wrapping this up what do you think yeah yeah for sure all right so on all of that uh creepy madness note joe you got any recommendations for people either related to cthulhu or otherwise yeah so um definitely if you're if you're a fan of board games check out mansions of madness there are tons of expansions like we said before um and it's just it's it's very for for board game enthusiasts the stories they change every single time that you play the game so you can there's a lot of replay value there but for newcomers to board gaming you can um there's an app on your phone that basically does a lot of the dming and gming for you so it's very easy for a person to be able to step into this world and just enjoy it rather than worrying about keeping 87 different pieces going all at the same time. Cool. Ought to keep that in mind. I'm a I'm a board gamer light. I'm more of a card game guy. 
you got like Dominion or Munchkin, I'll be over in a minute. Um, for me, I have a recommendation that's like on the opposite end of the ballpark, but it's only because we just got done watching it that I have to bring up. Go on Netflix. Turn, once you finish this, go on Netflix and watch. Zach Stone is going to be famous. So this was a 2013 MTV uh, sitcom created and starring Bo Burnham, who is every millennial's favorite millennial, or at least he's mine. And it's all the usual Bo Burnham, silly goofiness. Essentially, he's a high schooler. He just graduated high school and his he spent his life savings on a camera crew to document his rise to fame. What has he done to get famous? Well, that's basically the point of every episode. So him trying to become famous. It's really funny. It's very well written because Bo is a great writer. Um, we got very emotionally invested in the characters very quickly somehow, even though it's the silly, stupid Bo Burnham nonsense. Um, yeah, it's only one season on Netflix, so we binged it pretty quick. Check it out. All right, so that is it for today's episode. Again, thank you, thank you all for listening. We've got some great stuff in the works uh, for this month and for the year in general. We've got some. Uh, we're going to be doing a couple themes this year. We're going to be trying something new here and offering some themes, and we're going to start doing a more in-depth look at Narnia as our first theme right off the bat. But we got a lot of great stuff and a lot of the usual geekology nonsense that we do here and as always head on over to systematgeekology.org where you can tell us what you have been geeking out on and what we should be geeking out on as well and remember we are all a geekdom of priests catch you next time This was an Anazal Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network, be sure to check out the Anazal Ministries podcast network.